Welcome to another trip down the Bourbon Road with your hosts, Jim and Mike. So grab a glass of your favorite bourbon and kick back. We would like to thank our friends at Premium Bar Products for sponsoring this episode. If you're ready to step up your game at your home bar, check out premiumbarproducts.com to choose from their wide selection of glassware, all of which can be custom engraved with your personal message or logo. And there's no minimum order. So after the episode, head over to premiumbarproducts.com and check out everything they have to offer. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody. I'm Jim Shannon. And I'm Mike Hyatt. And this is The Bourbon Road. And today, it's a look back day, Mike. We're going to take a look back at our beginnings. Yeah. And drink a little bit of uh, special whiskey here. Got a couple of great bottles to try today. Well, let's tell listeners why we're going to do this. So, for you listeners who have been listening for a while, um, you know us. You know who we are. You know what we drink. You know what we love. There's no, there's no shock in that, right? Everybody knows you love rye. I love wheat, and that's that's why we're a successful podcast. But for new listeners, we wanted to take you into our two favorite whiskeys. Everybody's always asking, what's your favorite whiskey? What's your favorite? We both have a go-to whiskey. We just don't get to drink it that often anymore. So what we wanted to do was take you through Jim's whiskey and then my whiskey, some bourbon basics, and then kind of the history of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We do get that question a lot. We get asked, you know, what's... What's our go-to whiskey, or if I could have one bottle, what would it be? And, uh, I mean, usually for that that second question, if you could have one bottle, what would it be? Uh, I, I usually say one that I haven't had. Yeah. You know, it's always one that I haven't had. Because always I'm always looking for that next special bottle. That's right. And, uh, you know, I've had a lot of bourbons, Mike. You and I have had a, an amazing number of bourbons. In our podcast career, uh, your your shelves are full, your cabinets are full. Uh, you give it away as fast as you can; it still keeps piling up. It's like a it's like rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but still, uh, there's that there's that little that little motor churning inside me that says, what, "What's what's new? You know, what haven't we had yet?" And I'm always excited to try it. But where did it all start? Yeah, where did the podcast start? Well, you know, I've always liked bourbon. Well, you, you know, I'm the founder. I uh, started the podcast, um, started it, what has it been now, about two and a half years ago, I guess, about two and a half years ago. Uh, I've always been a bourbon lover, always liked my bourbon. Started drinking bourbon back in the early 80s, kind of right out of high school, you know, just, just reaching that age where uh, I was able to drink and Wild Turkey 101 was kind of my go-to. And no surprise, that's what we have in our glass right now. That's right. Kind of backwards, but from what usually we go to lowest proof to highest proof, usually what we do. But today we're doing a little bit different. So right now you poured me a big old pour, both of us, a big old pour of Wild Turkey 101. Yeah, I, I figured we might as well have a decent pour. I mean, we're going to be sitting here talking for a while. We don't want to run out. But you, we usually run out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I don't want to run out today. So it's a hefty pour. and. Uh, yeah, it's in reverse order today, a little bit higher proof in the first half. But, um, you know, Wild Turkey 101 was kind of my uh, my first bourbon. It was my uh, my first grown-up whiskey, I guess is the best way to say it. And uh, I've been drinking it ever since. So always loved it, always thought it had a great profile. 
I never really searched out like in the early days in the eighties and in the nineties, I never really tried to search out something new. I just always went back for that same, that same thing. You know, it's empty now. Let's go get another one. It's empty now. Let's go get another one. Um, so while Turkey one ones kind of been it. And when I think back, um, you know, the, the bottle that I likely had in my hand, uh, when I first started was probably an 81 101. Wow. Yeah. And right now, I don't know what they cost to get an 81 101, but I want to say it's pretty expensive. I can imagine it is. Now, back then, was it a screw top or was it a cork in it? Do you remember? Uh, you know, honestly, I can't remember, Mike. I, I would have thought it would probably have been a, a screw top. It could have been. For that price range. Yeah. I mean, they certainly was a lot cheaper back then than it is now. And, and you know, right now it's still a pretty good bargain at, what, $23? $23 for that bottle. Yeah. Uh, but it never disappoints. And, you know, a lot of people have, I would say, a misunderstanding about wild turkey. It's the most misunderstood whiskey there is. People tend to relate it to uh, bad boys and bikers and college parties, college parties. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a great whiskey. It's a great whiskey. And, and you know, as well as I do, uh, this is not four-year-old whiskey. No, it's six, seven, and eight-year-old whiskey, right? Um, depending on what they got going on, which is that's pretty respectable when yeah. it comes to Kentucky bourbons and age. That eight years starting to hit that sweet spot, right? That we really, really love. Um, and twenty-three dollars, how can you beat that? Yeah, I mean, every now and then, you know, the the flavor profile of what's on the shelf changes just a little bit based on the stocks that they're pulling from at Wild Turkey. I mean, it's always pretty close. I mean, it doesn't vary a lot, but sometimes there might be a little bit more older stuff in there, uh, even older than eight years. It's happened a number of times in the past where they've had to dip into older stocks in order to keep up with production demand. So, so what's the what's the mash bill on this? Uh, 75, 13, 12. So it's pretty high corn content. Oh yeah. They call it a high rye, but at 13%, eh, you know, I don't know that that's a high rye, kind of a medium rye, right? Yeah. When I think a high rye, I think of something that's like 20%, you know, rye and over, um, I think that maybe back in the day that was been a high rye, um, and it probably was. I mean, people are pushing the limits now, right? Things mm -hmm. are really, you know, they're starting to explore and do some out-of-the-box mash bills. And the rye contents are definitely going up. They have been for a while. And uh, But, well, with the popularity of rye, rye itself has gotten more popular in the last few years. And I would imagine the more rye you make with is, let's say you, you went up in that percentage, but you're at that 20, 30, 40% stuff kinds get sticky. Yeah. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to work with. So, you know, you hear people say rye whiskey, they, they say it's a mess to work with. So you kind of wonder about that. Well, heck we've been talking for a minute. Let's, let's taste this. Sucker. Let's get into it. Well, I always love that nose. It's like coming home for me. It's really good. It's, it's got that uh, caramel toffee. Um, there but, you go, toffee. Yeah, but oak, oak too. You know, it's got um, 
I mean, you know there's some age in there. You know there's a bit of older whiskey in there. I think a little bit of rich leather and that oak, like you're in an old uh, smoking room of uh, mm-hmm. somebody's house. That's And you're in a big leather chair. That I don't know why I get that. Maybe a little bit of tobacco in there, you know, pipe tobacco. That's what I get off of this. And that toffee, when you say toffee, I think of a Heath bar. Yeah. Um, I get that Heath bar inside this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's really, really good. Let's cheers. Cheers. Wow. What a great profile. Never, never disappoints. You know, we were talking about the misunderstanding of wild turkey. And here's the thing is whenever you go into a bar that's outside of Kentucky and you order a wild turkey 101, usually comes in a shot glass. Oh, people yeah. People drink it as a shot, and that's not the way to drink this. You drink it out of a rocks glass with a little water in it or a little ice cube, or like we're drinking today out of our Glen Cairns. That's the way to drink it. Yeah. I mean, every time I taste this, every time I put this up to my nose, it just reminds me of being in the Rick House picking barrels with Eddie Russell. You know, I mean, it's just, it just, it brings back that memory. The, the Rick House at Wild Turkey smells like Wild Turkey 101. It just does for me. And, uh, yeah, so it's, a, it's been a long love relationship and I'll never give it up. I'll drink a lot of different whiskeys now and I'll try a lot of different things, but you'll always find a bottle of Wild Turkey 101 in my place. Yeah. I was like, I didn't really want to dig through cause I have a bottle, but it's, it's probably buried pretty deep right now. And I was like, man, do I dig this? Or I just asked Jim to bring over a bottle today. I texted you and said, hey, here's the idea for the show. And away you came with a bottle. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty darn good. And uh, it's it's a guaranteed sipping whiskey. In other words, what I mean is you you can be sure no matter where you go, if you end up at a bar, a whiskey bar, a bourbon bar, an expensive restaurant, and uh, you want to order a bourbon and you pull out that list of bourbons and that list of bourbons, you know, they're 14, 22, $36 a pour, depending on what it is. You can just about be sure there's some wild turkey on the menu and it's probably $4 or $5. More than likely. Or worst case, maybe eight. But you can always, without looking at the menu, without uh, worrying about what the price is, you can just order a wild turkey neat. And you're not going to be shocked when you get the bill. And that's a great thing. Yeah. Well, let's get back to the podcast, I guess. So you came up with the idea of the podcast. Now, how did you come up with an extra host? Well, I kind of I kind of didn't want to do it on my own. I wanted to have conversation on air. I didn't want to always have to have a guest. You know, I, I thought, you know, I, let's let's do this thing. But uh, I don't want to. We didn't start out reviewing bourbons. In fact, we stayed away from reviewing bourbons in the beginning. We just wanted to have conversations about bourbon, drink bourbon, talk about it, uh, have guests on, um, you know, have a good time, but not literally review the bourbons and give them a, you know, thumbs up or a, a thumbs, thumbs up, thumbs down kind of thing. So we we pretty much avoided that probably almost for the first six months or greater before we ever really started reviewing any bourbons. And my, my co-host, my original co-host was Randy. And uh, I think Randy was on for 
20 or so episodes. Mm-hmm. Is that about right? I think it was 21. Either I was a guest or I think 21 I was a guest on somewhere in there. And then um, two or three later, you guys were like, hey, <laughs> yeah, uh, we need, we're going to have to do some changes. Yeah. Randy was a great partner. We had a great time doing the show. We We actually figured everything out together in the beginning so it was a matter of you know you start from nothing when you start a podcast you've never done anything like that before and it doesn't matter if it's a youtube channel or you're doing tiktok or whatever it is you know if you've never done it before there's a lot to learn and uh we had to figure it all out we figured it out together it was nice to have a partner nice to have a friend to do it with and uh you know it it was it was sad when he announced that he was going to move away and go to another state. He moved to Virginia. He remains a friend of the show, though. And uh, we have him on every now and then. And he peeks his head out of the mountain. He peeks his head out of the mountain. That's true. He does. And uh, he still loves his bourbon, still drinks his bourbon. And uh, I guess somewhere along the way, uh, we were fortunate enough to run into each other at a bar. Yeah. And uh, kind of struck up a friendship. And, uh, I just, I could see it. I could see the personality. I could see it. I knew that you would be good in that position uh, when, when I knew Randy was leaving. So, well, I, I appreciate it. Um, you know, what a journey it's been and, and how many great places we've got to travel to the doors that we've opened up. And I can remember those first days and I was like, well, how many like listeners do you, you guys have? Cause I've met you right about the start same time as your first episodes went out because i was like how many episodes you have and you're like like two or three and i was like, all right so i listened to those and i'd wait till the next week and listen to it and um i was like well how many subscribers are there and you were like maybe eight or nine ten <laughs> i don't know <laughs> not very many and, yeah uh but we knew you knew it was gonna grow yeah, I mean, we're getting some good feedback, and, you know, we had opportunities to talk to some listeners and get some feedback from people and made a few changes. Uh, you know, there's some things we did differently, but we've always had good sound, good equipment, good sound, even from the beginning. Uh, it's gotten better, but it's always been good. And I think that's one of the hallmarks of our show is that, you know, our we're easy to listen to. Um, yeah, I think we've had some hiccups um, to where we're in a rush or StreamYard's not working, a mic's not working, internet's not working for us. Me trying to do stuff from a cell phone rather than a computer for a while, just being stubborn. Um, but building that and then building our social media following has been a challenge. And then having guests on is, you know, what a great decision not to be by yourself because trying to schedule guests is as you know is extremely difficult um and try to come up with a fresh idea every week two fresh ideas every week yeah two fresh ideas <laughs> so we'll, we'll talk about that for a second reviews why wasn't why wasn't it or why didn't you want to do reviews when you started oh there were a lot of reviews shows out there and uh i I didn't want to do it because I wasn't sure that we could do it well enough and different enough to make a difference. And I thought that there was a lack of bourbon culture, you know, shows about bourbon culture about, and that's kind of where the name, the bourbon road came from. It was, this is, this show started as a bourbon culture show 
um, you know, to uh, include people, not just, you know, bourbon industry people, but to also include just regular everyday people that drink bourbon who have an interesting story. So you'll notice throughout our history, we've always had guests on that are excited about bourbon or bourbon is not their business. You know, we've had musicians on, we've had chefs on, we've had authors on, we've had, um, you know, other roadies, our, our, our roadies. And we can talk about that a little bit later, but we've had uh, friends on just, just a wide variety of people who are interesting, who are willing to sit down and drink bourbon with us while we are on the show. And that's really kind of the only requirement of the show, right? If you want to be a guest on the bourbon road, reach out <laughs> you, you gotta drink bourbon right? yeah well you you had an episode where somebody couldn't drink anymore that's right we did so we we had a gentleman on and, and i'm not going to mention who he is or uh you'll if you go back and listen to some of the early episodes you'll you'll figure it out but we had a gentleman on uh in the early days uh who was a very interesting person and um bourbon was kind of part of his shtick you know, talking about um, Kentucky bourbons and the bourbon culture and and all of this stuff is it was kind of uh, what he did. We're like, oh, let's get this guy to come on the show. It'll be great. But when he came on, uh, we got him invited. He came there. Uh, we sat down. We started to record the episode. We were going to pour him some bourbon to drink, and uh, he said, "No, thank you." And he couldn't because he wasn't able. to to really control it himself. So it's something he had to walk away from, even though he still talked about it, wrote about it, you know, performed, you know, with bourbon themes, Mm -hmm. uh, he wasn't able to actually drink it himself. So, um, but we made a show of it. We had a great show and uh, we talked about what a great thing it is to be able to draw that line when you need to, right? If, If it gets control of you and it's not something you can control anymore, uh, you better put it down. Sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just like, it, it's like a credit card, right? Uh, a credit card can spiral out of control if you're not careful. Um, a lot of people realize that a lot of people are living their life by a credit card and it will spiral out of control if you don't uh, use, if you just, you just got to cut it off. That's right. You know, cut it off. Don't let it build up. And that's the same thing about alcohol and drinking responsibly and, some people can realize that like that guest did, but you know, I can imagine that was somewhat of a difficult, uh, cause well, I remember listening to it and I was like, man, that's, that's going to be a tough, yeah. tough interview. <laughs> it was okay. I mean, it still turned out good and, and it was great to have him on. And you know, that, that's something that, um, we probably ought to do more often is have that conversation with our listeners. Um, you know, I, some shows I listen to, uh, they do the dry month every now and then where they'll do a, a series of uh, shows without drinking because they're trying to take a break. Sure. And, and I fully respect that. I've never had to take a dry month myself before. Uh, but if, if I ever got to that point, I think I would. I don't sound too fun to me. No, <laughs> no I, I did. I did walk away from cigars. Uh, so I used to smoke cigars. I used to be very, very into cigars, but I, I, I smoked them a little too much. So I put them down forever and I haven't touched them since. And I probably never will, but I do love cigars. I just feel like I can't 
you know, I can't have just one every now and then. So, hmm. so as we've built the podcast, um, and it was probably almost a full year into me being with a podcast to where I, I, I was, we talked about doing reviews. Me and you had that conversation on the road and talking about doing reviews. And finally we pulled the trigger and said, okay, let's do our reviews differently than everybody else is doing it. Um, and the way we did that is usually we'll only do craft distilleries. Um, we'll throw the big boy in there every once in a while. When we say big boy, we mean a monster distillery like Heaven Hill or Buffalo Trace. Not necessarily a big boy bottle, but a yeah. big boy distiller. A distiller, yeah. you know, a giant out there in the industry. We'll do one of those bottles just to say, hey, you know, let's let's hit it all. But mainly craft distilleries is what we like to do. And that we're always searching for that next great whiskey, right? That next great bourbon across America or even here in Kentucky, you know, you never can tell what's going to end up on the show. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of distilleries in this country that are trying to uh, emerge. You know, they want to become recognized and every little bit of exposure they can get helps them out. And some of them are doing some, some really great stuff. I mean, some really, really good stuff. Uh, and they just need that opportunity. And I think we kind of give it to them. You know, a lot of times uh, they may not have a wide distribution, but the good thing is we do have yeah, a wide distribution. Yep. So um, we will reach people in their listening area. And, you know, we will reach people who are going to be traveling through their local territory and can pick it up. That's often the case right there is uh, people will be traveling through. They're going there for business or they've got family that lives there. They want to see it. Let's, let's talk about Jim Shannon real fast. What's your background? So our listeners know who you really are. What what do you do for a living right now? Oh, so right now I, I spend most of my time writing software. I'm software developer. But I have done a lot of things. I've been around a lot of years, so <laughs> I've done a lot of things. I, I, I did uh, join the Navy uh, out of high school and uh, spent eight years in the submarine force uh, serving, you know, United States and the in armed forces and uh, decided at eight years that I wasn't going to make it a career. I think uh, probably the reason I stayed eight years was because um, it was so interesting what I was doing. So I don't think if I'd have chosen a different profession in the Navy, if I'd have stayed longer, I think I've chose the right one. It's just, I, I don't think I was a career kind of guy. You know, I kind of wanted to get out more of an entrepreneur, wanted to get out and do my own thing. And sure enough, you know, I got out there, uh, worked for other people for a while and then ended up owning my own businesses, running companies and did that for a number of years. I was in the biotech industry for, well, I still am, but uh, I was in the biotech industry for, 25 years in research and development, uh, in management, I was operations manager for a biotech company and, uh, ended up starting my own biotech company. And, uh, I still own that company. My wife and our son, uh, Zach, they operate the company. I'm kind of out of it now because I'm doing, I'm, I'm late life. What do do they call that? Mature career. I'm in my mature career right now. Are you a late bloomer? I'm a late bloomer. I get to do, I get to kind of do what I want now. And what I love to do is write software. I always have, but what I really love to do is write software. So now I'm, uh, I'm a consultant. I write software and uh, really enjoy it. Have a great time doing what I want to do. Work from home, which is nice. And hobbies are, you have a small farm. You got some pygmy goats. You got some chickens. 
You horse. got three dogs. You horse. got a cat out there. Got got a cat or more, depending on what's wandering through the 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 barn. And you got those large giant dogs out there. The big dogs, the ones with the mane and the tail. Yeah, the yeah, horses. The horses. <laughs> yeah, we don't ride them, so they're big dogs. And hobbies. What kind of hobbies do you do? Well, you know, the podcast is a hobby to me. Yeah. Uh, I've been doing it for a while now, and I really enjoy it. And it does take a lot of time, so it doesn't leave a whole lot of room for other things. But most recently, I've decided to uh, to take up fly fishing again. So that's something that I I, I, I used to do a lot in the past. I was a big fly fisher, fisherman, fly fisher person, person who fly fished. And uh, I did that for quite a number of years, but I haven't had a fly rod in my hand for probably at least 15 years. Like Legends of the Fall fly fishing. Just yeah. yeah that kind of just, and you got a trip coming up too. I do. I do. Going yeah. to Colorado, going to hit the South Platte River and the Arkansas River. Believe it or not, the Arkansas River is in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of amazing. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm going to hit those two rivers out there. I'm going to catch some trout. And, uh, of course, we got plenty of trout in Kentucky, too. But uh, I'm going to go catch some Colorado trout. Well, that's that sounds pretty like a fun trip. Uh, me and you had actually talked about that stuff. Well, I think that's a pretty good window into Jim Shannon. Jim Shannon's favorite whiskey, Wild Turkey 101, is what we're sipping on right now. Actually, if you look at my glass, Jim, it's, it's empty. empty. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I knew it would happen. It's good stuff, Mike. Yeah. Well, I got my good friend Woodrow down here um, keeping us company. Woodrow, the whiskey dogs here. Yeah. We're over here at the farm just chillaxing. And uh, hopefully you listeners are getting an insight to what we're about tonight and what we like to drink. Some bourbon basics, you know, and um, the inside of us. That's in the podcast. Yeah, so, you know, usually when we, we drink a whiskey and we talk about it a little bit, especially when we're doing a review, we like to sort of break it down a little bit and talk about <clears throat> kind of the nose, the palate, and the finish. Um, on this whiskey, I think to sum it up, we, we got kind of toffee and caramel and on the nose. Uh, I think I heard you mention a medium finish. Yeah, I'd say it's a medium finish. I agree with you completely. It's got that uh, that rickhouse on the nose. It's got that rickhouse on the palate. Um, you get a little bit more like maple syrupy on the on the palate as it sits in the glass, right? And I was sitting there as, as you're telling me, and I'm thinking it's kind of got that either maple syrup or a hot honey that's been warmed up to me, a hot honey tea, you know, and just kind of sweetness on the tongue and stuff. And some people are like, "Wow, turkey doesn't taste like that." Yes, it does if you drink it right. It does. Trust it does. Me. And you know it. Um, it gets a little peppery on the finish. And I think and that's one of the reasons why people like to say ah, it's a spicy whiskey, you know, because it is. It's got that peppery finish on it. And it's a little dry, too, on the finish. So it's not – there's no sweetness on the back end of this one. And uh, it's just a darn good whiskey. Six, seven, eight-year-old and sometimes higher made by uh, the godfather of whiskey, right? 60 years. Jimmy Russell's been – Distilling for 60 years at Wild Turkey right there in Orangeburg, Kentucky. I mean, that's that's saying something right there. Yep. And they, you know, this is uh this is something that I hope will never change. I hope Wild Turkey's foundation will never change. I mean, they can come out with new expressions, they can introduce uh special releases, they can do all this, and I'm I'm glad they are. But don't change the foundation. And I don't think as long as Jimmy and Eddie are in control, it's ever going to happen. So we'll see. 
Well, I, you know, I, you know what I'm hoping I'd see from them, but I, I probably won't see it in my lifetime. I, I know that that they're more than likely they'll never make a weeded bourbon that I know of. Probably not. Um, and I'm fine with that. And so, you know, they're making a rye though again. Yeah. So hey, I'm pretty excited about that. And that's Jimmy's grandson that was the one yeah. push for that. So it, it's nice to see them kind of push out there a little bit. And you know, they got some finished stuff and. I mean, heck, Jimmy Russell's even come out with his American honey, you know. Yep. As a, a lot of people love that. Yeah. People hate on it a little bit, but a lot of people it's love popular, it. Right? Though. It's it, It's cash cow. Well, I tell you, uh, listeners, uh, what we had in our glass was uh, we got told that we need to repeat what we're drinking a little bit for listeners that come in halfway or they'll pause for a little bit. So what we had in our glass in this first half was Wild Turkey 101. You can buy it for $23 pretty much anywhere in the world mash bills what 75 percent corn 13 percent rye and 12 percent malted barley so it's got a pretty substantial rye content and barley content so good stuff and and still 75 percent corn that's up there for me uh, i don't have to tell you that this is a this is a buy because <laughs> because i buy it quite often but you know it's it's definitely a sip and whiskey it's inexpensive enough where you don't feel bad if you're mixing it. You can give it to anybody in a glass. And if they honestly, if they don't know what it is, they're going to be impressed with the bourbon. If they know what it is, then they're going to do a double take because it's wild turkey. And that's yeah. just the way it is. Yep. Most just definitely. The way it is. But I would definitely say this is something to have on your bar, something to buy. You're not going to give it away as a gift, but. If you really need to convince somebody how good it is, give them a bottle at 23 bucks. Why not? Yeah. Well, listeners, we'll be right back uh, for a second half. And guess what? We're going to be drinking a weeded bourbon. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> well, you know, you can't drink whiskey without glassware. And Mike and I are extremely pleased to have a sponsor like Premium Bar Products. Premium Bar Products offers direct-to-consumer the finest whiskey glasses, cocktail glasses, and bar tools with your own personal engraving. I mean, you can write anything you want on these glasses, anything from a company logo to a personal statement, and there are no minimum orders. Their direct-consumer platform offers you the opportunity to purchase small quantities of your favorite glass shapes that enhance the pleasure of enjoyment and drinking a whiskey and make it all very positive. They offer the absolute finest trending and handmade glasses as well as a comprehensive range of styles and all of their items have been designed with purpose, practicality, and longevity in mind. So if you're a bourbon or whiskey group and you need custom logos, you need to reach out to Premium Bar Products. If you're an individual, you just want a few for your bar, to impress your friends, to give out as gifts, you need to call Premium Bar Products. They need to be your one and only source for custom glassware. I can tell you right now, the Bourbon Road, that's who we use. Janie and Carson and the team there at Premium Bar Products will take care of you. They'll treat you like family and they'll take care of you with every order. All right, well, we are back. This is our uh, look back episode. Yeah. Look back, see what we did right, see what we did wrong. I don't think we did anything wrong. Well, we've, like I said in the first half, we've had some hiccups. 
right? Yeah. Um, and we learned from those things. Like we really learned a lot from about sound and just all kinds of different things that that I don't you don't think about unless you're doing a podcast. You think, hey, am I doing this right? Or am I doing that wrong? But as far as I know, we, we try to do everything right. You know, I was talking to somebody yesterday. I was down in Barstown, and uh, somebody asked me about social media and how to build their social media. And I said, well, one thing that I, piece of advice we've stuck true to, we have stuck true to this, is don't buy your followers on Instagram. Um, I I believe that true. We we haven't bought one follower. Um, they're all, Nor will we ever. Yeah, because just, what's important is not how many followers you have, but how many how much how much engagement you get, how many people's comment back to your posts, how many people read your posts, like your posts, how many people actually engage with you in a conversation on social media. Having. 30,000 or 40,000 followers and they're all from India or Pakistan doesn't help you out in the least because they're not looking at your content. They're not engaging in your content. They're nor, not, nor are they going to buy the products that you're reviewing or exactly, exactly. And you can spot, you can spot the accounts that do this pretty easy. And there's a lot of them on social media. You know, they, I mean, you go into their followers and you look and you see, you know, 95% of the names you can't pronounce because they're from other countries. Not not that we don't have followers from other countries. We do. And we have followers from India and Pakistan and and other places. But they're, they're organic followers. They're people that really care about whiskey. Um, and, you know, some cases they post comments. They like us. They like what we do. They're engaging with us. And that's the important thing. Yeah, I think that's the. That the key part is having people that are truly kind of whiskey nerds like us. I, I used to not like that word at all, but now I'm just a whiskey nut, I guess. A bourbon bullshitter, as we, we call ourselves, that we're not experts, nor I don't think we'll ever be experts. We're just two dudes that truly, truly love bourbon, and we love all forms of whiskey. Yeah. Don't get us wrong, but but bourbon's our game. Yeah. Bourbon's our game. And, you know, we've been at this long enough, Mike, where, yes, we're bourbon bullshitters. We like to we like to refer to ourselves as that. But every time we say it to somebody, they go, come on, guys. How many bottles have you, have you had on the show? It's like over 600 bottles we've had on the show, you know. Yeah. I, I guess probably we've tasted enough bourbon to have an opinion. Yeah. I mean, we, we do have our opinions about certain bourbons or the the false hood out there of certain bourbons or the myth of some bourbons or people that say, Hey, that young whiskey can't be good. Um, we've dispelled that too, because we've went to different regions of America and tasted different bourbons from different regions of America. Yes. Listeners out there, bourbon can be from other places other than Kentucky. Yeah. And there's some really good whiskey out there. And there's some people that really know what they're doing and really do a good job. And and you know what? I mean, I'm surprised at some of these craft distilleries, at the amazing stuff they're putting out. Um, you know, it's always kind of the benchmark for a young distillery to shoot for, who's making bourbon, to shoot for, I want to be as good as that Kentucky bourbon, right? I want to yeah. be as good as, that, as the big boys in Kentucky. 
And uh, I have to say there's a number of distilleries that have hit that mark and surpassed it oh, yeah. in their own way. Sure. And they've got their own little signature. Uh, there's a lot of examples out of Texas. There's a lot of examples out of the, the Northwest. Uh, and, and quite honestly, all over the country, right? I mean, uh, we've had distilleries that have just blown us away. It, it's just always surprising to me. Um, yeah. So let's, let's stop talking for a minute, and I'll tell you what we got in our glass. So we have Weller Special Reserve. This is this is my bourbon right here. This is something I do truly love. This is Mike's jam. Yeah. This is the this is the the big chief's jam. I got several bottles of it. I hoard it like a madman. I won't give it away. I won't sell it. I won't I you say just, you don't give it away, but I well, I you don't have a bottle at your house. So I said, Hey, you know, I got a couple of bottles. I had to make sure you have a bottle on your new bar. I appreciate that. <laughs> so you do give it away. You just give it away uh, reluctantly. You have to be a really, really good friend for, to to get one of my bottles. But as you know, Jim, I do drink this. Uh, I, I truly love it. Now, if you don't know who Weller is, it's not Wellers. A lot of people always say that Wellers and people beat him up on. Uh, hey, you spell it however you want to. But William Larue Weller, he is the godfather, the king, the true king of weeded bourbon he's the guy that came up with that recipe um he's the guy that there there wouldn't be weeded bourbon without him there would be no pappy van winkle without william larue weller yeah so back uh, weller william larue weller um and the weller brand has been around since uh let's just say it the wild wild west well that that'd be definitely true right there and uh, if you if you watch an old western and see a bottle being pulled down off a shelf, good chance that was a that was a Weller bourbon. And everybody always wonders why why does it have that green label, right? Um, and I think that's a throwback to where he would put a green thumb stamp on his barrels. Um, honest whiskey from for an honest price, I think, was what yeah. his deal was. Yeah, so. <clears throat> you know, the 1800s, the late 1800s, the second half of the 19th century was, uh, it literally was the wild, wild west of bourbon, right? I mean, uh, you had a lot of manufacturers. You had a lot of people consuming bourbon, a lot of bourbon being shipped west. Uh, most of it was being done in kegs or in casks or in barrels. And, uh, you know, before it enters a bottle with a label on it, which didn't come around until old Forrester introduced the glass bottle. You know, you, you just didn't know back then. You just didn't know what was in the barrel because there were still people back then producing bad whiskey, unsatisfactory whiskey. And then they would sell it because they couldn't take the hit on, uh, on not being able to sell a bad whiskey. And then you'd had rectifiers to try to make it taste better, look better. And uh, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. So that green thumbprint meant something back then. So the mash bill on this is undisclosed. This, it, nobody knows the mash bill. Um, but I would think it's probably got a pretty low content of weed in it. Um, undisclosed, but understood what it is. Yeah, it, everybody knows it's a weeded bourbon. Yeah, this is the king of weeded bourbons. Um, $22 a bottle is MSRP for it. Um, 
I personally probably wouldn't pay over $32 for a bottle of it. Um, I think the big bottle should be around 35 to 45. That's your price range for this bottle right here. Don't pay more than that for it. Wait, just wait your turn. Yeah. Or go to a bar and have a pour of it and understand that, you know, um, you can wait until you find it at retail because it's, it's just not, I mean, it's a wonderful bourbon. It's a beautiful bourbon. Yeah, a lot of people beat it up and stuff. But you know who that is? The people that can't get their hands on yeah. it. Yeah, you know, that's very typical. You know, somebody, um, if they can't get something, they'll talk bad about it to make themselves feel better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but honestly, uh, Weller bourbon has been uh, appreciated and revered for a very long time. Yeah. Well, let's stop talking about it for a minute and let's sip on this sucker. Cheers. Cheers. There's those floral notes right yeah. there. Yeah. So see on this, we get a little bit more of that fruitiness, a little less of that uh, that dusty floorboards of the rickhouse like we got in the wild turkey. Here you're getting a little bit more of a floral note, a little more um, fruitiness. Get that sweetness off of it. I'm going to say uh, sugary. Caramel, kind of a really sweet caramel nose on it. Yeah, I could get all that. Um, I always think a little bit of honeysuckle on this, as I always say, you know, going down that dirt road. <clears throat> I get a little bit of fresh fruit, like if you cut up some strawberries, some peaches. Um, I get all that in that nose. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a great nose. I mean... Now, what's the proof on this, Mike? 90 proof. 90 proof. Weeded mash bill. Buffalo Trace produced. Big One boy. of their probably the line of these, the whole lineup. I don't know if there's a more popular lineup out there. Probably not. This is probably the king of, yeah, the king of, uh, um, Names or what do you call that when a when a distillery has a a line yeah a lineup I guess you had it right this is a lineup of bourbons they have under a one expression that you know you have the special reserve and then you have the antique and then you have the Weller twelve year and then you have the Weller full proof uh, and now and, they got a single barrel and you got the CYPB and the white label right so um, this group of expressions all falling under the Weller name. And, you know, and the granddaddy of them all, William LaRue Weller itself from the BTAC collection. Uh, just great bourbons, really good bourbons. And all of them really, even the green label, can, they could be extremely hard to get your hands on. Well, they are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, well, we're in Kentucky, we can't hardly get them. I think, you know, Texas and Ohio seem to be the two places that are able to actually put their hands on a bottle without too much trouble. Yeah, I think when I went to Texas, I was shocked to see cases of of the Special Reserve. Well, let's taste this sucker. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, it's good stuff. That's um, sweet, soft, floral, a little bit of baking spice, a little bit of cherry. It goes without without saying caramel and vanilla. You get a lot of that, a little bit of baking spice. It's got a 
for a 90 proof, it's got a nice Kentucky hug on it. It does. I don't know if that's the barrel spice from it that I'm getting. Medium finish, but it's super light on the palate. It is light on the palate. So it definitely washes across. Um, after giving you that first impression on the front, you know, that sweetness, that floral, that, you know, it kind of it kind of settles back a little bit. Doesn't really hit you big on the back. A little bit of pepper, not too much, but that's barrel. I think that's barrel. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, like you said, Mike, the finish is probably medium on this. What a great whiskey for 90 proof. 20 odd dollars a bottle when you can find it. Yeah. If, if, if it wasn't such a popular whiskey, imagine this be on a shelf and just it, back in the day it was, you could, that's why I liked it so much. I was like, well, I might've paid, you know, $200 a bottle when I can drink something really nice for $22 yeah. a bottle. Yeah. Call me cheap. Like Rob did on last uh, episode, but, and I'm not a cheap guy. I just, I really do love my weeded bourbons and, um, I've come to love them even more since, you know, I came on the podcast. Yeah. Well, there's no more FOMO for us, right? You and I, we don't really have FOMO anymore. We're not worried about not getting a pappy. We're not worried about not getting, you know, whatever, a BTAC collection bottle. You know, we're interested in something new or something we already know is good. I don't get us wrong if one happens to fall in our lap, you know, as the, I got a CYPP, the, a couple weeks ago and I, I was glad to get it. Um, somebody offered to buy it like right after, like the next day they were like, Hey, can I buy that from you? And I was like, no, you can't. I'm going to, I've already opened it up. Matter of fact, I already drank from it. <clears throat> it went up on the shelf. Yeah. And- well, nothing wrong. You know, I've been through my phase. I went through my phase of chasing bottles and, you know, looking for um, unicorns and I had a grand time doing it. I really enjoyed it a lot. Had a blast, built up my bourbon collection, uh, shared it with my friends. You know, uh, I still got quite a few of those bottles on my shelves. Um, and I visit them every now and then to, to really enjoy it. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it's just something that I just don't do anymore. Um, but I, I would get excited if I get, a, if I get something special. I still would. So, Mike, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell me a little bit about... Uh, where you come from. Let everybody know a little bit about what's inside the world of Mike Hyatt, the big chief. <laughs> so I grew up in Texas um, on a pretty good size ranch, I guess. Not really in Texas size. It's not big at all. Um, joined the military when I was 18. Went in the Army. Was a watercraft operator. Um, they said you could either be a dental technician. They gave me a whole list of stuff, but the top two was – um, watercraft operator and I had these grand visions of those river boats in Vietnam and I was like man PT-109 yeah right? I was like oh, I'm gonna do that kind of stuff <laughs> oh right yeah there. John Kennedy right <laughs> yeah well that would be the Navy ones but oh, the, yeah. the, the Army ones I'd saw before and I was like man I could do that kind of like swift water stuff and I was like I could I could see myself doing that and um, I got educated really fast that that's not what they were. They were landing craft and they build ports and they have tugboats and barges and they can build floating like cities pretty much and offload, uh, roll on, roll off ships. And they moved the army around. Um, so I did that for 10 years. Wasn't going anywhere. And, uh, 
I was going to get out of the army and start a construction business and had a small construction business, building decks and fences, doing some home remodeling. And that I'd seen that that wasn't going to be the way to live a life and, and support a family. So I joined the coast guard, like the same day I got out of the army, I joined the coast guard and, uh, did 14 years in the coast guard kind of never looked back. I, you know, the military is, has treated us so well, our, my family that, you know, 24 years later, I, you know, I looked up and I was like, it's over with my, pri- my prison sentences. They're releasing me. Let's retire. Yeah. And somehow, some way the coast guard said, Hey, we want to keep you as a coast guard civilian come to Louisville, Kentucky. And they offered me a job here, a position here. And, uh, today, as we sit here, I'm a search and rescue and emergency management specialist. I'm a, a stand watch inside of a command center. You know, I call it the black box. There's no cell phones in there. There's no cameras. There's none of that. It's just a bunch of computer screens and monitors everywhere. And we pretty much look at 10 states and make sure that they have all the assets they need for that, uh, whether it be search and rescue, whether it be a barge going aground or um, pollution, anything that has to do with the river systems. And I always say the Ohio Valley, the Cumberland Valley, and the Tennessee Valley. That's our big three rivers and all the tributaries that go with that. Now, 10 states is it's the second largest area for the Coast Guard. So if you're um, fishing on Cumberland River, below the wolf creek dam yep and you get into trouble with your boat you get all hooked up or something goes wrong or you're you get anchored in a and or they they turn on a bunch of generators and the water starts coming out and you can't handle it you're picking up that phone to call for help you're the people they call right well if they dialed nine one one, they they would get help but if they called a coast guard number uh, there'd be somebody in our office that would pick up the phone or radio and, and we, what we'll do is we'll make sure the proper County gets there and make sure that assets get there, the right amount of assets, um, the right people for that job. Cause it's a, it, it's a unique area. The entire river system is, yeah. um, lots and lots of locks and dams, lots and lots of tugboats, uh, lots of bad stuff go up and down the river system. So a lot of that. A lot of that area, a lot of that river area is controlled by the Army Corps, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you guys work together with the Army Corps? I mean, you're pretty tight, right? Very tight. It, it's a well-oiled machine. Uh, the Army Corps is really here to control the flooding, and that's what a lot of these locks and dams were put in for. Yeah. Well, not only that, but produce electricity in the, in the Cumberland and Tennessee valleys. But they let the... They control the locks. They dredge. Uh, the Coast Guard puts the buoys out. They move the buoys around in the river system. When the channel changes, as it does in the river all the time, um, we'll send the buoy tenders out and they remark it. And it's a large operation. Yeah. So if something goes wrong on the river, like you said, a barge goes ashore, or like we had not too long ago, a boat crashed into a barge. Mm-hmm had some fatalities and some people going into the water. Uh, you're, you're on high alert. Yeah. I was, you know, I live for that stuff. Even when I was active duty, you know, I was the guy going out in a boat doing law enforcement and doing search and rescue. And, 
um, there's no greater feeling than that. Yeah. I would say my first couple of months in the Coast Guard were really bad, and uh, I didn't get to go out and do any rescues or anything. And it took one search and rescue case of these seven little kids on a paddle boat out of the middle of Lake Erie in the middle of the winter. And it was kind of slushy ice. Um, when I'm talking about slushy, it looked like a slushy on Lake Erie. Yeah. Uh, and they were out there in the middle of the lake in a little paddle boat that you would see in a park. Um, some of them had hypothermia. We pulled up to them and grabbed them off of there. And those little kids, they they put their arms around your neck and you're trying to get them warm, putting a blanket around them, and we're getting them back to shore. And the parents are just coming up and hugging you. And they hooked, line, and sinkered me right there. They got they got me all at once. I was like, there, there's no better adrenaline rush. Now there's been some lows in that too. I've I've seen some bad stuff happen and you know, seeing children die and stuff always weigh heavy on you. Yeah. Um, but at some point I had to stop doing that. Right. My body yeah. kind of broke down. I'm, I got a little age on me, kind of like you. And I said, I, you know, I'm going to have to end this. I got a lot of age on me. You got a little <laughs> age on you. I got a lot on me. Uh, but now that's what I do. I sit in that black box and a direct kind of direct traffic like that. So is it fair to say that you and your team save lives on a regular basis? I'd say not on a regular basis. We assist lives or save lives. I felt like the other day I had a case and I felt like we were, we saved a life, three lives. Um, I felt like somebody was about to go over lock and dam and uh, we lost communication with them. We didn't have their person's cell phone die. They didn't have radio on board. And I pretty much, I caught launching the world. We, we launched assets and when they, they got rescued and that's awesome to me. I came home and I was smiling and had, that's a good day right yeah, there. Yeah. It's bad days when you have like a collision with a, a recreational boat and a tugboat. That's the bad days. And there's nothing else I could do with that except yeah. for throw the world at it and put everything I have into it. But at the end of the day, I didn't come home feeling good about that. You knew that yeah. I told you I'd had a bad day and, but you know, you have good days and those good days make everything worth it. Yeah. It's a lot like working like your wife. She works at a hospital and I'm sure she, she has those days where she's, at patients that recover and she's got those days when patients don't, don't make it yeah. and it's rough. So you imagine two people having, yeah. you know, both of me and her have come home before, you know, and we've both had a rough day and uh, it's, it's not a good day at our house. Um, but yeah, that's what I do now. But my hobbies um, besides having the small farm here and everybody's like, what do you farm? And I said, like, well, we got hay or hay field. That's kind of what we produce here, but more it's about living the best life we can and having Woodrow and having a small garden. And, um, I'm an avid hunter as you well know. Yeah. When, it, when we get into the, the winter episodes, we talk a lot about hunting, hunting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always trying to, you know, and you know how we kind of schedule, we do schedule the podcast around hunting season kind of cause you know, I, I said, I've told you whenever we started, I said, Hey man, I, I love to hunt. I just absolutely love it. Not, not only the hunt part, but I love as many of the listeners know, the older listeners will know that I love to process my own meat and I love to cook with that. And I just, I just, I can't get enough of hunting and I love to fish too. I used to love to fish all the time. Matter of fact, as you listeners are listening to this right now, I'll be on a boat in Oregon, off the Oregon coast, or in some Oregon rivers, uh, salmon fishing. 
I hope you're going to bring some back. <laughs> well, I hope we bring a whole bunch back too. Um, I'm going to do that with my brother and <clears throat> with another veteran that owns a charter fishing boat, Hammerheads Charters out there. And uh, I just uh, have an outdoorsman. That's what I really love yeah. to do. I mean, I got some other hobbies and stuff. I like to write a little bit. Um, I wrote some poems that have been published. I don't know. That that kind of sounds weird coming from a guy named Big Chief. No, nah, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> See, you're you're big enough where that that's like nobody's going to say anything. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to write a book one day. I've started a book before, and then I stop, and then I'll go back at it. And um, well, you've written enough blogs that if you put them all together, they'd be about a 500 page novel. Yeah, I'd like to write about a 2,000 page novel. My that's like a dream, and I, and I truly have started. I probably got a whole two chapters written. So, so let me dig in here a little bit. So, would this be like a science fiction? Would it be a fiction? Would it be an anthology? Would it be kind of a historical novel? You know, what would it be? What would it be? It it would be called the title of it is the Last Drive, and it would be about the last cattle drive in America set in World War Two. Oh, wow. Pretty cool. I've had that idea in my head for so long, and I'd like to see it as a movie one day. Yeah. Um, but that's my my idea for this. And So the, who would who would star in this movie? Who, Woody Harrelson is Woody the main. Woody Harrelson? Okay. Uh, yeah, is the main, probably the actor. Yeah. Um, a discernal, disgraced officer that has to lead this monster cattle drive to kind of save, drive some beef for the army and stuff. And then, I don't know, I have a whole bunch of actors in my head, but whatever happened, I don't know. I just know. figured it'd be some people from Lonesome Dove in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't really know. Um, some of those guys, Robert Duvall and them are getting a little, bit, getting up, a little bit older, a little bit up in age and stuff. Yeah. Well, they, maybe they would consult with you on it. Consultant, that'd be <laughs> nice. I, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd hope to do that one day. I'd really love to finish that book. And maybe once I fully retire, I'll write it. And um, I don't know if I'm that good of a writer to write something like that. Well, that's what editors are for. So, you know, writers just create the story. Editors make it read right. Yeah, so, that 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 is true. I mean, but that's my dream and hobby, kind of, and uh, one of my passions. I mean, I got all kinds of hobbies. I told you, you know, uh, the podcast is a hobby, and I just feel like when you do a hobby, you got to go at it a hundred fifty percent. That's my problem sometimes. Yeah, I just go at it too much. Well, Mike, I kind of hope we've you know took a step back here, looked back a little bit into where we come from, and. You know, we've got a lot of listeners to this show. They're all over the world, all over the country. Um, a great group of people who like who like bourbon, who like what we do. Uh, they're loyal. Uh, a lot of them are roadies. Not everybody's a roadie, but a lot of them are. But, you know, if we don't do this once in a while, if we don't go back and kind of recap, you know, we don't always we don't always give the the new people the benefit of kind of where we come from and who we are. So I, I think it's I think it's good that we do this every now and then. I think we should try and do this once every year or two just to make sure that kind of we uh you know reset. Yeah, we're keeping everything base. on track and um 
you know, it's, I think this this year, this summer, since everything's opened and back up, we'll kind of get back on that bourbon road and, you know, have some different guests on, some authors and some some chefs and some musicians. And yeah, I mean, a lot of the um, a lot of the people who you have on as guests have gotten kind of used to this whole uh, Zoom, Google Meet online meetings and yeah it's kind of not us i mean we really like to be in person whenever possible and if that means traveling it means traveling yeah but we like to be face to face we like to be experiencing their distillery or you know whatever it is that they do we like to take you there that's why we called ourselves the bourbon road because we wanted to get out there and, and sort of let you live vicariously through our bourbon road in our life um, uh, you know, exploring the bourbon culture. I think we'll get back there. I just don't think it's going to happen overnight. It's not like, okay, COVID's over. Everything's back to the way it was. I don't think it'll be that way. Yeah, I don't. It's going to take a, a minute to get us back to where we were and rebuilding that and rebuilding those episodes. We do have some special guests coming up. Um, matter of fact, we got our bourbon challenge going on, right? Yeah, so um, if you're listening to this show, Go back a week and listen to the Wednesday show from the week before, and you will get all the details you need to get involved in, and, and participate in our bourbon challenge. And if you're listening to this show within a few days of it releasing, there's plenty of time for you to, to do a good job and get entered into that challenge. Yeah, and I've locked one special judge in, special guest judge. She is a master blender. She has been on the show before. It's none other than Ashley Barnes, the witchy woman of bourbon. She's got some some magic, uh, just a magic palette, I really. Yeah, so she's got a magic palette. She's got the skills to taste and analyze and give recommendations to to distilleries who are trying to do a better job. Yep. Uh, if you enter this challenge, she'll taste your whiskey along with other judges. Uh, and, uh, hey, I think it's I, how many people get to have their whiskey blends tasted by a master blender. And she's worked at Four Roses and Buffalo Trace. She's truly a, a artist. Um, and I'm excited that she has uh, went ahead and partnered with us and said she would be a, a guest judge. And we got one other guest judge we're going to try to get. I haven't confirmed that judge yet but i'll keep working i promise i'm gonna keep working you got to august 1st to enter that challenge uh you you want to be you want to be in this challenge yeah because you know if mike and i are judging your whiskeys we're just bourbon bullshitters right i mean we'll, we'll tell you what we like we are gonna judge it we are but i'm saying if it's just us if it's just you and me judging people are like yeah they're just a couple of bourbon bullshitters right? yeah yeah but no nah, if ashley's here i think it's kind of Raise the bar a little bit. It did. Yeah. And don't forget, we've given away some great prizes. Uh, the winner of the challenge is going to get an engraved barrel head. Each one of our shirts, the bourbon bullshitter t-shirt and a bourbon road shirt. You're going to get a Glen Karen. You're going to get a hat. Um, you're going to get a sample of Jim's old hoot blend. And you're going to get a sample of my big chief's blend. Um, you're not going to go wrong getting all that. And then, Jim, the person with the best name of their bourbon 
I mean, I, you know, you know what I'm really looking forward to? I love to drink bourbon. Don't get me wrong. And I love to taste, all, but I'm looking forward to some crazy names. Some Rob, crazy names. Rob had a crazy name. <laughs> yeah, what do you call it? Carter's George. What was it? Carter something Dickel or something. <laughs> I don't remember what it was, but he had a good name. But, you know, uh, the names are fun. You know, they're, the names are fun, and I think that's that's going to that's gonna just make it a blast. So that person um, is going to get a sample each of our blends and a Glencairn from us. Yeah. And I'm throwing out there four-ounce pours, people. You know, in a four-ounce pour, that's a pretty good-sized bottle of little bourbon right there. Yeah. I mean, everybody buys the two-ounce bottles. Mike, you buy the fours and the eights. A big old big cheap. Well, the eights are just for you, Jim. Oh. That's strictly for Jim. Most people aren't getting no eights from me. <laughs> that's, like, that's like a quarter of a bottle of bourbon right there. All right, Mike. Well, this has been great. I've really enjoyed it. We've both emptied our glasses once again. The Weller Special Reserve is just amazing. I'm so happy you gave me a bottle of it. I'm going to put it up on the bar with pride. I'm going to make sure it's open, though, because that's what we do. Yeah, open your damn bottles, people. That's right. OTDB, uh, hashtag OTDB, open the damn bottle. Yeah. Um, you know, it's important. it's important to drink the whiskey in addition to, you know, collecting the bottles. So, Well, I've got a whole collection over there on that pub table. They're empty collections. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Mike. Well, where can people find us on uh, on the internet? So you can find us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, whatever else social media thing will throw at us. We can do it. We're going to get it done. You can find us on all those. We also have a private Facebook group called the Bourbon Roadies. You got to be 21 to enter. You got to love bourbon. Who doesn't like bourbon, Jim? Come on now. And you got to agree to play nice, meaning we don't tolerate any rudeness. Our moderators, they'll get you right out of there. Now, the other thing we really need you to do is scroll on up top, hit that subscribe button. You'll find out that we put out two shows a week, your your app or whatever you're using to listen to us on, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts. Is Alexa. Tell you, Alexa. It's going to tell you, hey, these two jokers have another episode out. After you're done subscribing, make sure you scroll on down, hit that five-star review. You know what's going to happen to them, Jim? The big, bad booty daddy of bourbon is going to come find them. That's my wrestling alter ego there. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to see that costume. So we need to get a picture of you in the big, bad booty daddy of bourbon (laughs) costume. Anybody's a costume maker out there. <laughs> I actually have a luchador wrestling mask that my little brother got me. Yeah. Uh, because that's a thing down in Mexico. Everybody's like, hey, are you a professional wrestler? No, I'm not. Um, got a little bit of that lineage in my in my heritage. But, yeah. So that's what we got going on. We do two shows a week, Jim. You want to tell them about those? Yeah, we do a show every Monday. Uh, it's called Craft Distillery Monday. It's about a 15 or 20 minute episode, not too long. Uh, we take a single expression, um, like Mike said earlier in the show, it's either from a craft distillery or sometimes from a big distiller, but we'll take one expression, we'll explore it, we'll deep dive it, we'll tell you what we think about it, and we'll give you our recommendation. You know, should you buy it? Should you leave it on the shelf? Should you just, uh, you know, go have a pour at your local bar? 
you know, what, whatever we feel about it, we'll let you know. It doesn't mean we're right all the time. We're just bourbon bullshitters, but we do have an opinion. We've drink a lot of bourbons every Wednesday. Uh, we do a long version episode where we, uh, we, we definitely dive deep. We get into a lot more detail. Sometimes we'll have a guest on a master distiller or a, you know, a musician or somebody else who's willing to sit down and drink bourbon with us for an hour. And, uh, and we'll let you, uh, we'll let you explore kind of what they have going on or, or sometimes it's just Mike and I, um, chit chatting like we are today doing a retrospective on the past two and a half years of the bourbon road. We'll do a one hour episode and, uh, and every week you can expect those two episodes. The Wednesday episode will get you to work and back. The Monday episode is kind of something nice in the middle just to keep you going so you don't get bored. If you are getting bored, I mean, we have 175 episodes in the past that explore every whiskey you could imagine. Take time. Go back to number one. Work your way up to today. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Don't forget to check out our website, dot thebourbonroad.com you can find our blogs our articles our reviews on there most importantly is you can find our swag on there you can find that bourbon bullshitter t-shirt you're going to be want to wear that we also have our newly released the bourbon road black t-shirt you're going to rock that thing out we have our glenn karen's on there from distillery products check those out or one of our caps on there support us buy our gear we want to see you this summer in our gear at distilleries absolutely well mike we want to hear what people have to say we want to know what they think about the show we also want to know who they think we should have on if you've got a local distillery or local bourbon celebrity that you would like to have interviewed on the show if you've got a bottle that you would like to have reviewed make sure you let us know you can always reach out to us probably the best way is on Instagram. You can reach me at jshannon63. I'm one big chief. And we will see you down the bourbon road.